Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spaulding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Welcome to the Platform Podcast. Today we have Sanjay Gupta from MyTech. MyTech are based in San Diego with global offices and Sanjay is um, here today and he's going to tell us first a little bit about MyTech and what they do. Hi Sanjay. Hi Al. It's a pleasure pleasure to be on the podcast with you. Thank you. Uh, So MyTech, we are actually a publicly traded company. We trade on uh, NASDAQ. Uh, we've been around for in this incarnation for about 15 plus years, and we're actually known for two different product lines. The first product line is the ability to take a check. In the U.S., we have quite a few checks that are still running in the system. So you take a picture of a check front and back, and then that money magically appears in your account uh, within a few hours of the next day. Uh, and then about, about, let's say, 10 years ago or so, we started a new division, which was around identity verification, the ability to use your phone and take a picture of your driver's license or ID or a passport. And then being able, then we have biometrics as well that allow you to, to take a capture of your face to determine if that person is live and then match the photo to the selfie to basically state, hey, this is the actual person that's live at the time of the transaction and the owner of the document. Uh, and then, and then, basically, allow you to onboard on a on a digital platform. Mm-hmm. And this this process, these processes, are particularly useful for 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 marketplaces, presumably, which is how you came to be involved um, with marketplace risk. And also, you've just recently done a, a great session for the masters program, which which is called Deep Fakes, Biometric Hacking, and Synthetic Identities. Oh my! Which I've recently discovered is from. Um, from the Wizard of Oz, uh, which is a brilliant title and very intriguing. Um, so presumably that there's a connection with the, the marketplace startup world there. And, um, you know, could you explain a bit more about, about that and the connection there? Sure. So if you think about <clears throat> the digital, you know, kind of the world is moving toward digital and everybody, uh, you have a lot of startups that are coming to space but everybody really needs to be able to transact digitally. 
how do you really know that the person that you're onboarding is really a live person at that particular instance? So, you know, it's a way of thinking about fraud, protecting yourself at the front gate. You know, at, at the very instance you're putting, you're allowing a person to come uh, onto your platform and then be able to provide a service to that individual. That's really kind of the gateway if you think of it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that the responsibility is at the onboarding end and that the platform takes responsibility for that? Or is there a sense that the user or the provider of a platform um, have to also be involved in that process as they then interact with the other side of the marketplace? So I think there's a combination. So first of all, uh, it is if you are if you own a digitally based company, platform based company, you know really you want to allow only good customers through to transact on your platform because once you get a fraudster that comes in, then there's a lot of uh, activities that they can they can take part in and really not only deteriorate your brand but also financially it could be impactful. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is also for consumers themselves. They also want to be ensured that, you know, there's going to be not a great amount of friction to be able to onboard themselves onto a, onto a digital platform. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because if it's, if it's not enough friction, then there's an issue. If there's too much friction, they may walk away. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of, kind of falls on both sides of the camp, if you will. And would you say that if you ever noticed, because it always intrigues me as somebody immersed in the world of marketplaces, from the, we obviously talk in terms of a provider or, and, a, and a user, um, would there be one side of those which would tend to be more um, likely to um, create a fake identity or, or a, a, would somebody would try and defraud on one side of that more than the other? So it used to be the case that you would get fraudsters that would attack, you know, different channels that would go directly in and try to take over your account, for example, or take your credit card number and do some damage with it. But more and more what you're seeing is that it, it's, it could be a, a digitally fake synthetic ID, a synthetic individual that's trying to create an account. And sometimes they're trying to create an account for not the purposes uh, for that particular instance to try to, to try to prevent, try to try to get fraud being done on that particular instance, mm-hmm. but creating a trail that allows other people and other businesses to think that this synthetic ID actually exists. So I, I don't, you know, it, it, fraudsters are very very crafty people, right? They'll they evolve and they'll use technology to the best ways that they can to kind of trick everybody else that's trying to do the right thing. Is that what you meant um, in your master's program session? You talked about digital breadcrumbs. Could it be that people use platforms as a way of creating um, these digital breadcrumbs that you talked about? And can you explain what, what they are? That's exactly the point. So if you think about it, <clears throat> when uh, a synthetic ID is first created, right? You've, you've got maybe a photo of a person that doesn't exist. You've taken disparate pieces of information, maybe a social security number here in the U.S. Um, you've taken maybe name and address. Now you've created an ID. But they don't, they don't become live just yet until they can get into the system. And so <clears throat> fosters have figured out that a lot of these systems are also checking to see, oh, does the email of this individual, does it exist? How long has it existed? 
Do they have a Twitter account? How long has that Twitter account been active? Do they have a LinkedIn account? Uh, so they'll create they'll create this facade uh, with all these different digital things that the synthetic ID is doing, and some of it looks really real, right? And so sometimes they'll even transact. Uh, they'll get into a marketplace account, open up a marketplace account, and maybe do real transactions. So all of these little breadcrumbs, as we call it, digital breadcrumbs, make and feel uh, look like that the synthetic ID, identity, is a real person. So I suppose that in a way the platform economy um, is, you know, it's kind of open season for these people wanting to create these um these profiles that will help them to leave these digital breadcrumbs because they allow people to set up user profiles in many places. So does it mean that people can quite often just, I suppose, just, you know, if we're carrying on the digital breadcrumbs analogy, sort of walk through the forest of the the platform economy, leaving these trails, but actually the, the fraud that they're going to carry out is on one at the, at the other end of the forest. They're just doing this to improve their, their online presence as being credible that's exactly it that's exactly what happens uh what we've seen more and more that the fraud doesn't occur at the time when you've onboarded but it occurs maybe six nine sometimes even 18 months out you know and one of the biggest frauds that that that's been published right there was a basically a gang they basically waited 24 months and they walked away with close to three quarters of a million dollars right and and there's no victim here right because mm-hmm. the victim is the bank at, at this point or the credit card that that issued that debt but the individuals like you know you or i are not affected from that perspective so that's why it's even more appealing to these fraudsters because then it isn't a single person that they're worried about mm-hmm. they're worried about institutions trying to catch them yeah and trying to link all these different breadcrumbs to determine if it's synthetic or not is really a new area of uh of science that we're that we're working with. So when you talked, um, you used a, a lovely phrase about how we we all default to the truth, which I suppose, you know, in a sense means we default to to believing people rather than um, you know, and to trusting rather than mistrusting. I suppose in a way that that change changes meaning when we talk in terms of these fake identities, because in a way it's not that we are putting trust in a, in a, somebody who is. A, um, a fraud to themselves, but these people are are made up. So it, it's quite it's a different thing, isn't it? It's not the same as maybe in real life trusting I don't know someone that comes to your door selling you something that's you know fake or trying to rob you or something. You're you're really putting your your faith in in something that can be completely synthetic. And I know that on your um, master session you actually talked about how people create synthetic sort of three D masks to actually um trick the the facial scanners can you tell me a bit more about that because i thought that was um that was really intriguing so as human beings right we really default to the truth that's how we're wired we think we smell we see we inherently have to believe because that's otherwise can you imagine a society if if it was exactly the opposite and so these fosters they they use these senses that that are already wired into us to try to confuse us. So one way they're doing it is like trying to make somebody come alive. They'll make a synthetic mask of that person. So they'll create a synthetic ID. And then with technologies today, you can actually 
print a 3D mask, sometimes even in your own home if you have the right components, or you can order one for a couple hundred bucks based on that synthetic ID you just created, and they'll wear the mask to try to fool the system to, to think that this person is live at the time that they're trying to do an onboarding event. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that you talk about trust and, and this idea of this face that we need to trust. And um, through some of the work that I, I do, we talk a lot about um, trusting brands and, and why we trust a brand. And quite often people will trust a brand more when it has a human face, not necessarily the, the founder of the, the brand, but you know, just humanizes the brand in some way because people are more trusting of that. But also I think that, I know that we, we maybe default to the truth, but do, do you think that people have um, in the past trusted um, for the wrong reasons, some, some big brands, um, and they've actually struggled now with the emergence of the sharing economy and the gig economy to, to actually trust uh, the people around them and their neighbours? Because I, I was thinking back to some of the big brands who have sort of eroded trust and damaged their reputations by... Um, doing something that maybe say for example um do you remember when people found out that there were chemicals in perrier water and it wasn't just Mm -hmm. from the french alps or you know obviously things like financial scandals and banking um scandals but also things like data um and um sort of fashion companies turning out to be using uh you know child child labor etc but people do put their trust and and for us as marketeers of um, marketplaces it's been tricky to to actually get people to to trust you know the people around them instead and to trust that peer-to-peer transaction how do you think that this type of technology to help people to move along that journey and actually put their their faith in 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 the sharing economy and the gig economy that's a really good question, and if you, if, if you think about what's happened over the last few years, just the data breaches. Mm-hmm. So in the marketplaces, you're really concerned about the access, accessibility and the availability of data to, to actually try to confuse that retailer or that marketplace company. And so at MyTech, right, we really believe in uh, having products that we provide to the marketplaces and there's, a, there's an element of trust that's built in. First of all, we're a publicly traded company. So as a publicly traded company, we have to conform to all these compliances issues that come up, not only on the financial side, but internally, we also audit our own data trail to ensure that we're compliant with the data regulations. And as you know, they're changing, right? You've got GDPR in the U.S. and you've got, I mean, sorry, in, in Europe mm-hmm. and following GDPR in the U.S., you've got like CCPA and, and, and other uh, regulations that are coming about. So if you're in a marketplace, you want to know that the company that you're dealing with in time, terms of the solution that you want to go to market with, that that provider is following, first of all, they know the regulations and they're following those regulations. And now they're not just saying it, but they have people on staff. So for example, we have a director of compliance and a whole team that's responsible for this. So they can actually talk to these individuals and say, what do we do internally? What are our processes? So it stems from, you know, creating that trusted brand and being able have having the ability to, to pierce through that and talk to the right folks. So you have a lot of companies that are providing some more sort of solution, but I would recommend that, that these companies in the marketplace go one step beyond than just going to market really quickly and have these conversations. Say, so, well, let me talk to your director of compliance. 
I want to, I want, I want to hear what they say. What are your processes? Show us your audit reports. So I think that's the next level that, you know, we, uh, that these companies need to get to. Mm-hmm. So it, I suppose all of this shows that, um, there's not one way, is there? There's not one way no. to, to, to make sure that people, um, trust each other, trust the platform and, you know, actually have a smooth transaction. It's got to be a, a combination of things. We, we talk quite a lot about disintermediation or p- platform leakage and people heading off the platform if they find, you know, there's too much friction or if their trust, um, is, you know, eroded in some way. You talk about layers of protection. Do you think that that could make it, um, a complex transaction? At what point is the, the tipping point where it becomes you know too much for someone and and they they want you know to take take a risk how do you know where that point is it varies depending on what type of product or service that you're offering so if you're a retailer right, and you're trying to sell some clothes maybe there are small dollar transaction amount maybe you let that individual the consumer come in and then at the point of transaction once they put it into the cart that's when you ask for a certain amount of ID, et cetera. Uh, also, it's interesting. Friction has a two-sided coin here because if I'm a consumer and all of a sudden they're saying, okay, you know, go ahead and transact without asking me for anything, am I really going to a trusted marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. So I want certain, especially now in this day and age of just, you see, you hear, you, 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 can, you can sense there's a lot of fraud happening without actually putting your finger on it. I mean, there are stories right now of, let's say, for example, freelancers that are uh, basically out of work and they're dying to get them work, right? And then so companies or individuals will come in and say, hey, I need XYZ done. Let me hire you. And I know that you're kind of in a bind. Let me send you a check or, you know, $2,000 or whatever and buy all this equipment. And so the, the freelancer takes that money, deposits it, buys all the equipment that they need, and it turns out that the check bounces. And they wired the money to accounts that the frauds are set up. So these are all the things that are happening. And so what happened, right? You jump too quickly to actually do the transaction. Mm-hmm. So it's also consumer-side behavior that's changing slowly. You know, We're becoming more wiser. Something's not right here. So when you see these layers of protection, they're there to help the marketplace is to determine what's the right level of security that you need and at what point in the transaction does it make sense. And how do you feel that this differs between um, a gig and um, so a sort of service sharing platform and an asset sharing platform? Because obviously with a gig platform, there's, um, you know, if you're, if you're interacting with, a, with an individual, there's an extra layer of, of trust, especially when it's something like, um, you know, pet care or child care or something. And then at the other mm-hmm. end of that, you might be um, on a, a sharing platform where there's a very, you know, low value, low um, trust item, um, you know, that's being shared over, a, you know, in a, in a very short space of time, like a, a sort of stuff sharing site, maybe a, a sort of leaf blower or something like that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, have you found that you've seen a, a lot of difference when you've been working with gig versus sharing platforms? And obviously, at the other side of that, you can have a, you know, a, a very high value sharing asset, etc. Um, and it can go either way. But have you seen a real difference between these two types of peer-to-peer platforms? 
So in, in, on the gig side of the house, typically you still have to do employment verification. And depends if you're the gig worker, you know, let's say if you're working for like a ride sharing uh, application. So you would have to go through some sort of validation that this is really you in the U.S., right? You have to, you have to, you have to actually submit certain forms. But even there, there's still opportunity for arbitrage. So let's say I'm a, I'm, I'm a, um, right, I'm doing a ride sharing, but maybe I give it to my son to handle the hours, you know, for a few hours a day. So because I don't have the time to do it, and that, so, but he's not legally allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's that opportunity that comes up. Whereas on the marketplace, it's really about product and services that the end consumer wants. And so you do have other avenues, right? You can go through an Amazon, but then you're paying a higher price. So that's kind of the trade-off that you have to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some of the, the methods of, of fraud that you talked about in your master's program session were really very sophisticated. Um, do you... I mean, is is everyone that sophisticated these days, or do, do some people really sort of, you know, stumble in a very unsophisticated way into a, a fraud attempt? And and you know, when you see that, is it very easy to spot now? Because presumably, you're not always working at the level where you're trying to, you know, you're not always at the three D masks or you know, building up digital breadcrumbs for six years type level. Um, are people still doing it badly? So we see all types. You see people still cutting out, you know, let's say driver's licenses, trying to paste a photo over it to try to get to uh, the account that they want to set up to really sophisticated means. And there isn't one way of catching all of them either. <clears throat> so that's another issue. So by having, let's say, a network effect where if marketplaces, Giggy, and banks, they all go through a similar type of process where at least they're putting up at the front gate at least a biometric check, you know, facial liveness to face detection algorithm, face to self-feeded photo algorithm. That's kind of the minimum that I think that that we would need in the society because that, at least today, <clears throat> these algorithms have gotten really, really well at catching even somebody with a mask on, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, very accurate. And, uh, and you're actually preventing that particular individual to come through to even create a little digital trail going forward. Now, this type of technology, while it's not <clears throat> like commonplace and readily available to everybody, these algorithms are out there. So, you know, NVIDIA, they basically, the algorithms that I was referring to, it's called StyleGAN. And if you go to, uh, there's a website called <clears throat> This Person Does Not Exist. And I think still they're probably doing it, but every two seconds or so they're creating a really a synthetic person. Every two seconds you click on it, a new person pops up. And I dare you to look at it and tell me if you think that's a, that's a real or a fake person. No way. And this algorithm is available. You can actually get it. And, you know, if you're smart enough, right, have a little bit of, of, of computer background, you can start playing around with it to create your own fakes. Um. <clears throat> That's crazy. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if somebody was listening to this and they are really, really early stage marketplace founder mm-hmm. and they, you know, really are bootstrapping, don't have much budget for this type of, um, you know, a fraud 
detection and prevention at all what would you what would you say would be you know the kind of the the first priority for an early stage startup or would it depend on the the type of marketplace it was for example gig or sharing um you know or, or what type of service or or asset again it would depend on <clears throat> what level of risk that they're willing to tolerate mm-hmm Right. If you are a new marketplace and you're now selling, I don't know, $1,000 units, you might want to consider <clears throat> at least as a minimum ID verification phase to liveness check before you allow that person to buy something off of you, right? Obviously, you're going to do a credit check, et cetera. You're going to have to do that, <clears throat> but it might be worthwhile. You know, that's a big transaction amount. Mm-hmm. But if you're selling something that's in the in in the low dollar amount, maybe you can tolerate a lot more risk, and you just have to write it off as bad debt. Yeah. So that's kind of the balance you have to achieve. Mm-hmm. When we're talking to marketplace founders about their marketing at the early stage and at their launch stage, obviously we've just talked there about how a brand with um, a human face and a sense of personality and can can really help people to to build um, trust in in the brand and and this will obviously sort of foster loyalty as well and and be good for for the um, marketplace to grow. We also tell them that you know that their messaging has to be instilled with trust. It's not as just as simple as saying you know trust us because you're trying to get people to trust the platform and you're trying to get people to trust the other side of the transaction as well. The other thing that we we tell them is, you know, to show and not just tell people that you're trustworthy and to to display things that that will help to build that, Um, you know, such as accreditations or trust seals, kite marks, you know, any insurance they have. Is there a way that people display or tell them, um, you know, about, about you? How does that work with your customers? What, how do you encourage them to, to tell people that, um, you know, you're, they're using your services and how does that work it's funny you say that because a lot of our customers want their brand to be the front brand versus saying you know in, in the old days used to be intel inside which as you recall that was mm-hmm. the brand right <laughs> so uh, a lot of companies don't put my tech inside and i think that if if they started to do that then that would be a very interesting pivot for them because you know we are a recognized brand uh, a lot of people don't know, but in the U.S., for example, we work with close to 6,500 banks. So these are large banks, credit unions, um, all the way down to, you know, really small savings and loans banks. And they use our product, uh, like like I said before, for check depositing, right? And that's a trusted brand in that environment. And so a lot of the conversations that we have with, let's say, Sharing Economy or Giggy or even the banks they, once we tell them our heritage, it's interesting. They, they trust us to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and we also tell them like what we can and cannot do and what's the right approach. Right. And so it's interesting, right? So they don't use us as kind of my tech insight, but if they did, that, that would actually uh, give a certain level of trust. Mm-hmm. Now <clears throat> there are, you know, third party agencies. So for example, there's this level certification, there are agencies that come up with saying, okay, you know, uh, in terms of 
let's say, having been tested, my facial algorithm, et cetera, been tested to a certain level. So there are certain amounts of, of, of those accreditation you can get, but I don't know how it resonates with the end consumer from that mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, they right? might not understand it. And, uh, <laughs> they might not understand And it. people would definitely put off the whole Intel thing, because do you remember they used to have to play the little tune um, that went, yeah. went with it, and it used to really disrupt the flow of the ads um, when they had to sort of put that on. <laughs> but I've not noticed that for a while, so, um, you know, maybe they've, uh, they've stopped doing that. Um, so... That was um, absolutely fascinating, Sandish. Thank you so much for chatting. I can't believe um, half an hour has um, passed, and I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, so I really appreciate you um, you sharing that. And I think, you know, it's fascinating um, when we talk about marketplaces and and trust because you know we're kind of you know we're, we're pushing people to do things quite often that they're they're not familiar with and they're not necessarily comfortable with and and you know we want that we want them to start using marketplaces but the more that we can reassure them that um the transaction is um you know is credible and it's safe that the better i think that we're all going to do um in this world so it's really interesting to hear what what goes on behind the scenes thank you Thank you for having me, y'all. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Program Platform Podcast. Check out the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.